the Bible, the book that has changed the world by changing lives around the world. Men and women, young and old, the Bible has changed my life. The love, stability, and hope that I need, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible gives me hope that a new day is coming. The Bible is helping me see what really matters. The Bible Live is a -a one-of-a-kind, first-time-in-history radio program. Offering you the chance to hear a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading each weeknight. The entire Bible, every year. Hear the scriptures, then call in with your comments and questions. This is the best show in the world. Well, actually, I was speaking against everything you were talking about before, and uh, now I, I stand humbly corrected. I'm a pastor, and our people really need to know the word more. The Bible also transformed the life of your Bible Live host. A full-blooded Apache Indian, born out of wedlock and abandoned at birth. Soapy Dollar was found in a big city alley by a kind-hearted fortune teller, then passed around to 16 families before he was six years old. Placed in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, Soapy Dollar heard the Bible's life-changing message at the age of eight, and the course of his life was changed. He's an American Indian guitar playing all around rodeo cowboy. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. With more degrees than a thermometer and over 40 years of introducing folks just like you to the God of the Bible. Here is Soapy Dollar. All right. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It only comes once a week. Got to be happy when it rolls around. Welcome aboard, everyone. This is The Bible Live. Our reading tonight coming from the book of Acts with information that is really helpful and applicable to our lives today because we live in the era of the Holy Spirit. We live in the time of God's dealing with mankind in this very unique way. The Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Now, when we say the Holy Spirit came, It doesn't mean he's never been here present on planet Earth. The Holy Spirit is God. He's everywhere present at all times. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. He has all the attributes of personhood, intellect, emotion, and will. And he has all the attributes and all the characteristics of deity. Omnipresence, omniscience, eternal nature, truth, just. All of these attributes that are identified to us in Scripture as attributes of deity. He's always been here present, always been active, always been involved. But now there is a special involvement. Now there is a special relationship that the Holy Spirit has taken with the people of God. It did not exist before. It did not exist in the Old Testament. This same relationship, this same one-to-one, person-to-person correlation, one-to-one, person-to-person commitment of the Holy Spirit to sanctify, to transform our lives from the inside out. Now then, I want to ask you the question of the hour. Why did the Holy Spirit come at this time? On what basis now does the Holy Spirit appear in this special committed relationship with the believer, with every believer, not just outstanding ones, every child of God now is indwelt. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has baptized us, has unified us, has bonded us together, has merged us, has identified us with the Holy Spirit of God. 
We are baptized into the Holy Spirit by Jesus himself at the moment of our spiritual birth. The Holy Spirit, for his part, baptizes us into Christ. The Holy Spirit baptizes us, identifies with, merges us, submerges us into, we are, we are unified with the body of Christ. See what that means. Proverbs 13, 1 through 12. A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A young mocker refuses to listen. Good people enjoy the positive results of their words, but those who are treacherous crave violence. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. A quick retort can ruin everything. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper and be satisfied. Those who are godly hate lies. The wicked come to shame and disgrace. Godliness helps people all through life, while the evil are destroyed by their wickedness. Some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. The rich can pay a ransom, but the poor won't even get threatened. The life of the godly is full of light and joy, but the sinner's light is snuffed out. Pride leads to arguments. Those who take advice are wise. Wealth from get-rich schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when dreams come true, there is life and joy. End of reading, Proverbs 13, 1 through 12. Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Beautiful song. For your name is great and greatly to be praised. We are back. This is the Bible Live uh, following this beautiful reading from Proverbs chapter 13, our wisdom and worship segment. There's so many of these little nuggets of wisdom. The godly hate lies, but the wicked cause shame and disgrace. You've got these contrasting statements. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. Boy, we've seen that happen a lot, haven't we, with lottery winners and racetrack winners. That money just seems to dissipate. But when we worked hard and earned it, we care for it, we invest it wisely, we use it wisely, and it multiplies. Well, what a great truth from Proverbs chapter 13. As I was explaining before our Wisdom and Worship segment, I want you to answer this question this evening. Why did the time, the era of the Holy Spirit begin when it did? Why this change in the way the Holy Spirit relates to the people of God. It's a very important truth, and it's a very God-honoring and Christ-exalting truth as well. We're going to pick up now in Acts chapter 7. Remember last night we were introduced to these seven men who become deacons, or that is servants, to serve food and to take care of some of the practical matters serving the church members so that the apostles could be free to continue to preach and share the gospel. One of these seven, his name is Stephen, a Greek name, he is arrested, and he's going to appear before the Sanhedrin and become the first Christian martyr. 
Acts 7, 1 through 9, 9, followed by Proverbs 13, 1 through 12. Acts 7. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and honorable fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he moved to Haran. God told him, Leave your native land and your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole country would belong to Abraham and his descendants, though he had no children yet. But God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign country where they would be mistreated as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God told him, and in the end they will come out and worship me in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time, and so Isaac, Abraham's son, was circumcised when he was eight days old. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of the twelve patriarchs of the Jewish nation. These sons of Jacob were very jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him from his anguish. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of all the affairs of the palace. But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery for our ancestors as they ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and all his relatives to come to Egypt, seventy-five persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there, as did all his sons. All of them were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph. This king plotted against our people and forced parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When at last they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he became mighty in both speech and action. One day, when he was forty years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. During this visit, he saw an Egyptian mistreating a man of Israel. So Moses came to his defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his brothers would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you hurting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside and told him to mind his own business. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian, where his two sons were born. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. Moses saw it and wondered what it was. As he went to see, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Moses shook with terror and dared not look. And the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. You can be sure that I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries, so I have come to rescue them. Now go, for I will send you to Egypt. And so God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected by demanding, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, Moses was sent to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many miraculous signs and wonders, he led them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and back and forth through the wilderness for forty years. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own people. Moses was with the assembly of God's people in the wilderness. He was the mediator between the people of Israel and the angel who gave him life-giving words on Mount Sinai to pass on to us. But our ancestors rejected Moses and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and rejoiced in this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and gave them up to serve the sun, moon, and stars as their gods. In the book of the prophets it is written, Was it to me you were bringing your sacrifices during those forty years in the wilderness, Israel? No, your real interest was in your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, the star god of Rephan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into captivity far away in Babylon. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed in exact accordance with the plan shown to Moses by God. Years later, when Joshua led the battles against the Gentile nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it was used there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you ever build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build a dwelling place for me? Didn't I make everything in heaven and earth? You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? But your ancestors did and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the Righteous One, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily upward into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and drowning out his voice with their shouts, they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. The official witnesses took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Acts 8. Saul was one of the official witnesses at the killing of Stephen. 
A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles fled into Judea and Samaria. Some godly men came and buried Stephen with loud weeping. Saul was going everywhere to devastate the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into jail. But the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to what he had to say because of the miracles he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, claiming to be someone great. The Samaritan people, from the least to the greatest, often spoke of him as the Great One, the power of God. He was very influential because of the magic he performed. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the great miracles and signs Philip performed. When the apostles back in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given when the apostles placed their hands upon people's heads, he offered money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money perish with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right before God. Turn from your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitterness and held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news to them, too. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he did, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. So he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, How can I when there is no one to instruct me? And he begged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, was Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? So Philip began with this same scripture and then used many others to tell him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. 
The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the city of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every city along the way until he came to Caesarea. Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless with surprise, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. As Saul picked himself up off the ground, he found that he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and all that time he went without food and water. End of reading, Acts 7-1 through 9-9. Wonderful, beautiful, powerful, loving God we serve, Stephen. Just a layman in an unimportant position, and there's two mistakes there. He's not just a layman, and there is no unimportant position. He is the first recorded Christian martyr. Remember, many of these men and women suffered in another way. Their families ostracized them. They lost their jobs. They were put out of the temple. They were made to be parasites in their culture. They were just outcasts from their entire society because of their faith in Jesus the Messiah. Before you can give your life for the gospel, as Stephen did, you must live your life for the gospel. And, of course, that's what made Stephen's death so powerful. We have a question out there for you tonight. We're not going to hold this one back for the quiz show on Sunday night. We're going to ask you right now, why was it that the Holy Spirit came? What happened at this particular time? What changed to allow the Holy Spirit now to come and to tabernacle, to dwell in the midst of his people here, in every individual believer. Why did it happen at this particular time? Now we see the beginnings of a new way of relating to God's people. Every believer, not just kings or the prophets or this one or that one who's chosen for a given moment of service, but every believer, every Christian, from the moment of their spiritual birth, and I gave you a little hint right there. Every Christian is now indwelt, that is, has this permanent wingman, this permanent escort of God's Holy Spirit in and with his life. On what basis did that begin to happen? Why did it happen at this particular moment? What had changed in God's dealing with his people in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit came upon different individuals in different moments, in different times of their life and their experience, like in Saul or David or many of the prophets or many of the priests in their given functions, like Samuel. He would come upon them for a time of service, but he also could remove and leave them. But now in this era, every true believer and follower of Messiah, everyone who comes into that relationship with God, the Holy Spirit comes to permanently dwell with us and upon us to escort us to glory. 
This is a change in the way the Holy Spirit has dealt with his people, it looks like, from the past. What changed between the time of the Old Testament and Acts chapter 2 when this happened? Jesus' entire life, not just his death and resurrection, the Passion Week would have had no effect if Jesus had not lived a perfect life of obedience and trust and submission to the Father. And so we have Jesus who successfully, as a man, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon him, he was sinless. He never failed in that obligation to trust and obey the Father. Jesus himself establishes the beachhead because in his role as Messiah, he is the firstborn of the new race of human beings. He is the firstborn of the reborn of this era. Jesus himself is the first, and because he successfully fulfilled that task to become our mediator, our substitute, then now, because he was faithful, every believer, from the time we are born again as God's children, the Spirit of God now is dwelling within us, just as it did in his life, because he did not fail in his task. There has to be a reason this could begin at this time, and I think it's because Messiah had completed his work successfully, victoriously, and he did it for us. He established a kind of beachhead, and now the Spirit of God, yes, could come in that intimate, co-identified way with every believer. Look at Stephen now. He's no longer just a layman or an unimportant position. He is like us. We can identify with him. The book of Acts would be more appropriately titled Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is a new time, a new beginning of God's dealings with his people. And everything that we are, every right and privilege and joy that we have now as believers flows out of who Jesus was and what he accomplished as the Messiah on our behalf. It's a tremendous, wonderful, beautiful truth. Another interesting detail is that notice here that when Stephen died this martyrdom. He was stoned to death. He was even praying for his persecutors, just like Jesus. This is the only time after the resurrection of Jesus that we see him standing at the right hand of the Father, not seated. He stands to receive Stephen, the Bible lies the first Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 